Welcome to What's Your Beef? Each week, we will introduce you to people working in the beef industry and some of the characters that help deliver the iconic event that is Beef Australia. Hello, I'm Jane Cudahy and this is What's Your Beef? When someone mentions beef, most people think of paddocks of contently grazing cattle or a decent juicy steak on a barbecue. Emily Pullen is about to change that. As the CEO of Jim's Jerky, Emily and her family are beefing up the snacking game. Hello, Emily. Hi, Jane. How are you? I'm fine. Thanks. Uh, How did Jim's Jerky come about? As with most uh, stories, it was a little bit accidental. Um, Mum and Dad had sold up uh, their... Um, their farm and were looking for something to do and dad was looking at a wholesale butcher shop because um, you know he'd raised beef so obviously he could then run a butcher shop Mm -hmm. Um, and it was run by a South African gentleman who in the back corner of the butcher shop had a little um, biltong dehydrator and dad had never tried biltong before um, so when he tried it it changed his life he says (laughs) Well, I have to. I just have to because honestly, biltong was a thing that I'd never ever thought about until we moved to Africa. And Martin, my husband, would come home from South Africa with like a suitcase of biltong every time. So it's yeah. that real influence. <laughs> it certainly is, and I think you know, Mum and Dad had been beef producers for twenty five years, and you know, everything about beef production is trying to get the absolute best quality. Um, meat that you can you know so everything from your genetics to the way you raise animals how you feed them and then when he you know 20 years ago going to the local servo he really felt that the um the jerky that you could buy was very far from that but when he tried biltong it was um you know he just felt that it was exactly like a beef snack should taste so he bought the butcher shop and um and started making biltong and as an ex-grazier uh, you know, a natural progression, I'm sure. Yeah, no, it's not, <laughs> but <laughs> but it makes sense as well. And um, so when you say that, you know, the jerky in the servo wasn't the same as the biltong, what about the biltong? Is um, is it a, like a South African technique or is it the different cuts that they use for the, for the jerky? What makes it so different? Yeah, there's a couple of things. So it's the way that it's um, that it's made. So biltong is basically, and our jerky is all technically biltong. Um, biltong is just a little bit softer, a little bit more wet than jerky. But they, um, you know, it's minimally processed. It's got minimal ingredients. It's really just a steak that's sliced, seasoned and dried. So um, some of the more, um, you know, mainstream beef jerkies, in particular um, ones that sort of have their origins in the U.S., a lot sweeter and more highly processed. So this one is just a bit more natural and, um, yeah, just really tastes like beef, which I think is what really won Dad over that fateful day. <laughs> that fateful day. I feel like yeah. it must have been. When he came home and said to you all, you know, around the kitchen table, right, we're buying a butcher shop and we're making beef jerky, what was the reaction firstly in your family and then, you know, your wider friends and neighbours? I think when when Dad said that he bought this shop and that he he tried this beef jerky, we were kind of like, oh, okay, um, because none of us were really jerky eaters, and I think that's really sort of the interesting part about Jim's starting was, you know, our family were not traditional jerky eaters, so this was this kind of random 
uh, past, but when we tried it, we agreed that we thought it was something really nice. And, you know, even even 16 years ago when they were first starting out, you know, there, there seemed to be a bit of a hole in the market for a really good quality beef snack and even beyond that, you know, a healthy snack that you could get instead of chips or lollies. Um, the first month that mum and dad were in operation, they made 12 kilos of beef jerky. And for anyone who's been to our jerky cellar door, <laughs> it's on the Warrego Highway. And he remember he, he tells his story about standing in the doorway of um, of the butcher shop, watching cars roar up and down the Warrego Highway, going, oh, no, how am I going to sell this now? Um, because, you know, it's one thing making beef jerky, it's a whole other thing, um, you know, finding a market for it. So mum... Shared a stand at Farm Fest that first year, and I think she took along some jerky to get people to try it, and it sold out. And I think they were like, "Okay, other people like this too. This is this is something that we think we can work on." So, how did you become involved? Well, I think you know, in a lot of family businesses, you're always involved, whether you're sort of employed by the business or not. So, really, we've you know, all of all of us kids have always been part of it and I think it's it's free labour, you know, that they yeah. get from you. Um <laughs> but story of we, our lives. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> um so, you know, just like any kind of succession, we were having that kitchen table discussion about, you know, the business was growing and I was working in Brisbane and I just had my first child and I really didn't want to sort of go back to that corporate commute and dad sort of said, Well, do you think you'd be ready to come back? And I was like yeah, I think I think I'd be ready to come back, and you know I had as much experience in um, in snack foods as what Mum and Dad did, so it was just another newbie thrown into the fray in twenty fifteen. You're in, you you're know, in good company. Work. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Uh, yeah. So, what was your background? Did you what were you doing in Brisbane that sort of married with a beef jerky business? Uh, yeah, nothing that married with a beef jerky business. Um, so, I have a really random career progression, and and um, so I think. You know, I'm a poster girl for doing lots of random stuff and picking up little skills across the way. I actually trained as an agronomist and worked for a number of years on the Western Downs. Um, I then lived in London for five years, uh, where I worked um, for the Sustainable Development Commission, which was a which was um, advisor to the UK government, and then Assured Food Standards, which was a full chain food certification organisation. So through those two roles. Um, I, I kind of got a, a really good broad look at food production across sectors, which was really interesting, and also um, how, sort of how supermarkets work and how the food supply chain worked, which I think is probably the only skill that I, that I brought back into this space. No, I'd, I'd, I'd say there's a few other little ones there that possibly you can't put on a resume, but, you know, <laughs> you brought them along Quite. regardless. Quite, so yeah. I guess you know this. This is a perfect example of of value adding. Um, and I guess you know in the modern era of Australian beef, the cost of production and land values just continue to skyrocket. And, and the logical solution for, or the logical option for many businesses to value add. So, what advice do you have for people who who want to start thinking a little bit outside the box? I think. Um you know, as much as, as we sort of joke about mum and dad stumbling into um, value-adding beef, um, what they saw was that we we have, and by we I mean Australia, has this fantastic raw material. 
and moving beyond it as a commodity, there's a lot of different ways that you can um, take that story and present it to consumers in a different way. So, you know, in moving into beef jerky, we're taking red meat, um, something that needs to be cooled and cooked and has a cold chain, into the snacking space. So you can throw it in your glove box. You know, it has a, it's easier to ship. It has a long shelf life. So it's finding different ways that you can look to take the value proposition that red meat shares and how you might present it in a different way or in a way that fills a need that the consumer might not even realise that they have. Um, so, you know, mum and dad knew that we had this fantastic um, raw commodity and, and, you know, everyone loves to snack. So I guess it's taking that and thinking, well, how can I apply something that's so fantastic to a different, you know, a different mindset? You, you know, as you said, you had a lot of different um different jobs and, and career moves before you eventually came home, but, you know, uh, marketing wasn't one of them and um, some of those other skills you need when you're, you're starting a new business or working in, in a business like this. So how did you continue to pick up new skills? Oh, yeah, I think one of the most important things is um, I, I just ask a lot of questions and seek people out who have expertise in the areas and try and, you know, suck as much information out of them as I can. Um, I read a lot and I try and um, look at other successful parts of the snacking industry and, and look at what's worked there um, and just find partnerships across the industry of people who, who know the space so well to try and see, you know, if we can incorporate that into our business. And a really key one for us and, and one that mum kicked off 16 years ago at FarmFest is listening to consumers as well. So pre-COVID, um, you know, we attended... Sydney Royal Show, the ECA, you know, um, Ag Clip in Canada, you know, the um, Emerald um, Agricultural Field Days, doing sampling and selling. But that's where you talk to the people that are actually, you know, consuming your product and they'll tell you whether the packs are too big or too small or what flavours they like or what they want you to try next. And that, I think, is the biggest learning ever is actually having that one-on-one communication with your customers because they'll tell you exactly what they think. Well, yeah, and I guess as a family of non-jerky eaters, are you all jerky eaters yet or is this still something that you're re- solely relying on your customers to tell you? <laughs> yeah, no, we're all definitely jerky eaters. And, oh, so um, if I go through your car, there's some in the glove box and you're fine. <laughs> yeah, so we, yeah, we, it's pretty much an indoctrination now. If you're coming into the family, you, you know, you have to, you have to be an in-house sampler basically. <laughs> So when you um are you seeing more competitors in this in the snack industry from the from beef snacks I guess coming on or are you still really the main players? Oh, I'd love to say we're the main players, but um no, look there's there's so so much um has developed in the industry over the last probably 10 years and and really picking up pace in the last 5 years. And you know, we are incredibly excited about that because um, while it means more competition, I suppose, in the space, it also means that in general, consumers are taking on the idea of protein snacking and beef snacking more and more. It's one of the biggest growing um, categories in supermarkets and also in petrol and convenience. You know, they're seeing really high percentage points growth in this space in the alternative snacks. So people are starting to think more and more about what they eat, uh, they're being a bit more discerning. So they're looking at a, a packet of beef jerky and thinking, well, this is actually something that I can feel good about snacking on. So a permissible snack. It's high protein, it's low fat, it's got iron. You know, it's it's one of these superfoods almost. So there's been huge growth and, and we're 
really excited to be a part of that. See, you're taking over the pork crackle. I, um, <laughs> I had a Scottish friend who used to bring that in by the by the caseload, and I never. I, I think it's delicious. I'm not going to lie to you, but at the same time, I'm like, oh, that's a that's a lot of heartburn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's that same protein hit without maybe the uh, the consideration after. <laughs> yeah. Now I do. I will come back to um, your relationship with Beef Australia and some of the roles that you've played there. But I think your mum. Was this, this story came out to quite early that your mum was really keen to get to the 1988 Beef Australia with her stud cattle, but it didn't go to plan. No, so she spent, um, so mum and dad had um, a drought master starting and so did my, my mother's parents. And um, she had uh, a really nice little run of two bulls and a heifer that she was ready to take up to um, Beef 88. Um, had them all ready. It was her, you know, she's going to get away from us kids and just have some time away with her cattle. And um, and it just happened that harvest fell um, over beef week. And, you know, when you're a farmer and these things happen, you know, had to drop everything to get to get the harvest in and she unfortunately missed out and she still talks about missing out on beef um, to this day, that first one. So, um, Has she so, missed yeah, any others since? No, she's been to. Oh, she. I think she probably didn't go to. Um, she, the first one that she came to again as an exhibitor was um, two thousand and six. So um, her animals slightly differently presented in that they were in packets this time, but still, <laughs> still beef. Come and exhibited beef. Exactly <laughs> has to go somewhere. Now you <laughs> yourself have had a terrific relationship with Beef Australia, not just as an exhibitor, but as a young ambassador. How did you become involved in that particular program? So um, when when we, mum and dad were going up to beef, um, beef 06, they were take, Jim's jerky was only two years old and they were thinking that that would be a fantastic place to, um, I guess, to take what they saw as a really exciting value-added product to industry um, because it's such a fantastic showcase. And um, actually it was mum said, oh, there's this, um, there's this sort of competition going on that, you know, you might be interested in. And I sort of read up on it and um, and I guess my relationship, oh, we've always had a, a really strong relationship with the beef industry in that I you know, grew up on a, on a, on a farm with the, with the stud cattle and, you know, used to show cattle and go to show camps when I was young. But at that time I was working as an agronomist near Miles and I'd sort of, it's a little bit of pasture agronomy, but I'd, I'd sort of moved away from, you know, beef production a little bit. And um, But I threw my hat in the ring because I, I have always felt extremely passionate about the beef industry. And I was a little bit less field because I was an agronomist, but also, you know, cows have got to eat pasture. So, yep, and I was really keen eat. on Lakina. I was really keen on Lakina as well and, um, you know, some of the um, really good impacts that that could have on, on rangeland management and stuff at the time. So I think that was kind of an interesting point. Um, and I was, yeah, lucky enough to, to win that year. And you got some pretty good opportunities off the back of that too, didn't you? Yeah, look, it was fantastic. Um, we, we got to go over to the US to the International Livestock Congress. And, um, you know, I was really young. I was only 22 at the time. Seems like a lifetime ago. <laughs> um, but, you know, to come from, you know, regional Queensland and to um, attend some of the meetings and forums that we got to in Denver from, with delegates from all around the world, but like huge American producers and things, and also feel really proud about our industry because even though Australia is small, we're extremely mighty, you know, and even some of the really big producers and the way they were talking now, it's like, we can match it with these guys, you know, and I still feel that that, um, that proudness, you know, to this day. 
you also travelled to the UK off the back of that too, though, didn't you? I did. Um, so when I had finished up in the US, the plan was um, initially to the second part of the of the trip was to go to New Zealand. Um, but I actually had quite a few friends and family who were living in the UK at the time. So I put a bit of a proposal back to Beef Australia and said, look, instead of New Zealand, how do you guys feel about if I go to the UK for the second part. Um, Same price on the ticket, you know. Yeah, right, exactly. You, you, know, you got these spins, I, mean, I can tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so it was a bit cheeky, but they um, they did uh, eventually give in. I can be very persuasive. And um, I was really lucky to attend the UK um, Expo um, in Skipton near Leeds in the north. Um, and, uh, again, that was such an eye-opener just a totally different way of producing some um, beef and and production that than I'd ever seen in Australia. So it was, you know, I, I for me winning that award and being able to travel the way I did and and see different types of production was absolutely life changing, um, and and life changing in another way because I actually ended up staying on in the UK because I was having such a great time. So um, that, I didn't come back. Happens to the best of them. And I think I think another thing that you attribute to Beef Australia is it sort of by a bit of a way played matchmaker for you. Yes. So part of the reason that I ended up staying in the UK for so long was because I actually met my now husband while I was over there. (laughs) And um, we had a bit of the first night we met was quite a loud pub and there was a, you know, quite maybe a few few beers had been had. And uh, we spent the whole first night chatting and, um, and he was from London and he thought that I said I was an economist. Oh. And uh, actually, he uh, he didn't realise until our second date that I was an agronomist, which he had no idea what it was. So, but did he <laughs> like jerky? Does he like jerky, he, Emily? I, I think actually maybe that's how I got him across the line to move to Australia. So, <laughs> And so what he's come across, and is he working in the family business too? No, he's not. So he's um, he's from a finance background. So um, we've imported him over to Australia, and he uh, he works in um, in finance uh, over here. But um, Fantastic. you know, we, obviously being part of the family, we just you know get as much free uh, free advice from him exactly. as we can. Exactly, and you can and will. Another um, uh, I guess ambassador program you've been involved in was the Cattle Council Rising Champion in. Last year, but um, you've gone from that to be now uh, a member of the council's marketing, market access, and trade committee. So, what's yeah. involved in that? That sounds amazing. Yeah. So um, that again, um, for anyone who is interested in the beef industry and um, is is young, so under thirty five, I'm, I'm past that mark now. So I just mm-hmm. scraped in a year that I that I was involved. Um, it's Look, it's a way of understanding how policy development around the beef industry works. And, you know, every single person who's part of the industry is impacted by the decisions that are made in Canberra. Um, so the Cattle Council, um, part of their role is to represent the grass-fed beef industry. Again, um, I'm not a producer, but, you know, the success and health of the Australian beef industry is absolutely pivotal to what we do and we're, you know, intrinsically part of it because we're, further producers, you know, down the line. So I've been fortunate enough for the last uh, year and a half to be involved in the Marketing Market Access and Trade Committee. And it's um, 
it's a, a broad base from across uh, all sort of production areas of Australia. And we look at things like access into markets, um, any trade barriers that might exist, um, you know, ways that we can hopefully uh, look at bolstering um, markets in those places. And I guess for me, being part of the post-farm gate, I've got a slightly different perspective or challenges that might be slightly different. And it just helps to um, have a lot of different perspectives in um, when you're looking at policy. So, look, I've learnt so much so it's been a really fantastic program to be a part of and look you've touched on an issue that has has certainly been part of many conversations that I've had in the last few months is that one around really understanding policy as as producers but as you know active members of the the beef industry do you find that people are becoming more interested in that process or is it something that um, you know the industry has some work to do to really get grassroots opinions and, and input? I think I think people are probably seeing that decisions that are made around table are you know often a long way away from from their businesses actually have um, quite real effects on the way that they can do business. I mean we've seen a couple of things in the last few months around um, you know markets being uh, access you know denied to certain markets for certain processes and things like that that have knock-on effects all the way back to the farm gate and to understand um, how policies are set and all of those kinds of things um, you know should become should be pertinent to anyone who's part of the industry and even if you can't necessarily you know sit on a committee or, or be part of it being being actively involved in knowing what's happening and lending your voice um, can possibly make a difference to the decision-making process. And I think that's really important. And I think, you know, the industry bodies are, are doing a really excellent job. And and I think if you're part of the industry um, and, and you, you know, you want to be um, have your voice heard, then to at least join a group or have an opinion is really important. When you just said that, it makes perfect sense and, you know, very logical but what what do you think is the barrier for people going yes I do when I have I have an opinion on this and I do want to you know be involved what's the barrier to actually you know doing that next step in getting hold or joining joining a group or doing something like that I think time is always a barrier you know you're running a business you probably have a family you also want to you know spend some evenings not pouring over you know board papers or whatever it is um so that's a big one and I think also you know, it's pretty daunting when you first, um, you know, step into that arena because there's people on, you know, in, in those groups that just have so much knowledge and it can be quite daunting to sort of step in there knowing very little and, and sort of feeling a bit silly. Um, but I think in in that you can learn so much um, and and then you can actually understand the decision-making process or why certain things are happening or that there might be a whole lot of behind-the-scenes going stuff going on that you might not be aware of. And, you know, so I guess I guess time and, and, um, and also wondering whether you have a place there. But I think if you're part of, if you're part of it, you definitely have a place. Well, that, I hope more people take that up and take that advice well. Now, um, Emily, you have spent a lot of time at Beef Australia's Expo events over the years. What are your highlights? What are you going to look forward to most about the 21 event? 
Yeah, well, obviously, um, there's a certain beef jerky uh, purveyor uh, yeah, yeah, um, in yeah. one of the trade halls. I would say that's definitely uh, the highlight. Of Aren't you launching <laughs> something too? Aren't you? You've got something under your hat. Yeah, yeah. So we're we're working on um, a bit of an exciting. Uh, well, we think it's exciting. I guess the punters will let us know. Um, new product that we're hoping to have our official launch uh, at Beef Week 2021. What is it? I so, won't tell anyone. Oh, yeah. No, you'll, you'll have to just be there to, uh, to find out. So we're a bit excited about that. Um, look, I, I have to confess, um, the last uh, two beef weeks, I have been very much tied to the trade stalls um, because that's, you know, a major part of our of our time is there. Um, but, you know, I often sneak away to you know, a symposium here or there and Mum says, where were you for the last two hours? And I said, I'm learning lots. I'm sorry I wasn't here to help you. I'm value-adding. Um, yeah, exactly, value-adding. So I think I think you should research before you go, um, you know, and have a look at what really floats your boat. But give yourself plenty of time to walk around as well because there's so much that you might not even know is there. There's technologies and there's products and there's businesses that you may not have even know that you need in your life. Um, so I think spending time to go around and have a look at what's there is, um, is equally as important as, um, as turning up to the event. So it, you honestly need two weeks to get through it all. So maybe I should put that forward. I think it needs to go for two weeks. Oh, gosh, that is, uh, that's a lot of walking and a lot of talking. But, <laughs> yes, no, you can try, Emily. I'll, I'll support you. Now, something that I've been asking everyone that's been a guest on this podcast is uh, about your favourite cut of meat. And jerky doesn't count as a main meal. Ah. Um, okay, so and I'm pretty sure that you wouldn't um, have that for dinner every night. So I want your next favourite uh, beef cut to cook, next favourite on like an average Wednesday night. What are you cooking? All right. So I have to say um, corned beef, and I'm sure it's been said before. No, but no, you're our first corned beef. Really? This is so exciting. Oh, for me, that's just number <laughs> one. But it actually has a funny little story attached. So I grew up eating it, and I'm sure everyone yep. has in one way or another. And then it's sandwiches for the next three days and, you know, fritters at the end. But um, when I was first courting my London banker husband, I told him I was going to cook him my favourite dinner, which was corned beef. Now, here's a little way that you can actually get lost in translation even between England and Australia because in the UK, corned beef is like Spam. It's, oh, gosh, it's, it's in a can. Beef. Oh, no. It's in a can. What, so, so what we, re, we refer to as corned beef here, it's salt beef in the UK, and even then it's not particularly well-known. Well, salt so beef is like lovely, something on a convict ship. <laughs> this lovely man um, turned up at my house expecting to be served canned beef <laughs> I think was pleasantly surprised when he got corned beef with white sauce so oh, wow. still, still a family favorite exactly and so you are you a like a silver side or a brisket oh no silver side yeah traditional silver side for us wow well that's great you can now fly the flag as the first beef Australia what's your beef corned beef lover so that's terrific um, look, Emily, we have loved having you on the program today. Thanks so much for your time. It's been absolutely a pleasure to have you on What's Your Beef? Oh, thank you, Jane, and I look forward to catching up with you at Beef 2021. Sounds perfect. We'll have corned beef and white sauce. <laughs> perfect. I'll have jerky. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, I should too. Thank you, Emily. Beef Australia is proudly supported by our principal partners, Thanks to the Australian Government Department of Agriculture, Water and the Environment, the Queensland Government, Meat and Livestock Australia and the Rockhampton Regional Council.
Thanks for listening. You can hit subscribe to make sure you don't miss any of our episodes. And if you are enjoying listening to the show, we would appreciate a quick rating and review. Visit beefaustralia.com.au for more information on this great event.